we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. Just one podcast this week, not two, as we finish the holiday season, which I hope you are enjoying. On today's show, I'm joined by the renowned sports writer, Will Leach, who explains how he fell down the soccer rabbit hole and fell in love with the sport, including becoming a season ticket holder for Atlanta United, one of the stories of the year in 2017. It was almost as if Atlanta United had minted so many loyal, hardcore fans, as if they were a cause almost, (laughs) before they'd ever actually played a game. Then have such an exciting team and a team that played in such a different way. And listen, that's part of the reason that people were excited about them before. I think if they would have brought in a bunch of old Premier League players, I don't think that people would have just been naturally excited. I think there are enough smart soccer fans in Atlanta. Because again, a lot of these people are from other places. A lot of people have been following them for a long time. There's, there's people from all across the world that live in Atlanta now. And they saw that what Atlanta United was doing was different than what typically a new MLS team does. Not just in roster construction, though there was that, but just in sensibility and mm-hmm. the hiring of the coach and in kind of what they did. And of course, then to have this new stadium, it was just very exciting. It was a really cool thing to be a part of. All that and more coming up. Our guest today is one of my favorite writers in America. Will Leach is currently a senior writer for Sports on Earth, a contributing editor for New York Magazine, a film critic for Vulture and Paste, and a contributor at Sports Illustrated. He's also a man of many hats, the founding editor of Deadspin, and for our purposes today, a fairly recent and full convert to soccer fandom for the United States and for Atlanta United. Will, welcome to the show. Oh, sir, it is an honor. I'm. Uh, those are very kind words. I am a huge, huge fan of yours and have been for a long time. If you'll note, even after the sadness of uh, literally the day after the Trinidad and Tobago game, one of the first things I wanted to say on Twitter was to go to you and say, oh, man, I wanted to watch you write about this team in the World Cup. So I'm a huge fan and delighted to talk to you. Well, thanks so much for joining me. In some ways, I want to say not just welcome to the show, but welcome to soccer. And I know it's, it's not the most recent change that you've had, especially in in connection to the national team, but what's your story about how you got into the sport? 
Yeah, I'm a little embarrassed. You know, um, everyone's kind of going through a certain, particularly all of us early web people. Uh, Drew McGarry wrote a smart piece on Deadspin about how we all have to go through a reckoning of how times have changed of some of the things we wrote in our early days. And I'll confess, a lot of mine are actually now about soccer. When I was starting <laughs> Deadspin, I knew nothing about soccer. I uh, I, I found it uh, amusing. Uh, I and I certainly didn't begrudge anybody liking it, but you know, it was not something that I grew up with. I grew up in a small town in Central Illinois. And soccer was the sport that you kept maybe a few people played to make sure to, they could get out of PE class and keep their uh, their AP credit classes. Uh, grade point average up. So I really didn't know much about the sport at all. And, you know, my for years, uh, once I started Deadspin, I, obviously I discovered, I met a lot of soccer fans. I was I was very resistant to it. One of my very good friends in the world, he was actually the editor of my book, God Save the Fan, is David Hershey, who mm-hmm. wrote, about, wrote about soccer for ESPN for years and years and years. And he's a huge Arsenal fan, and he uh, we would hang out all the time, and he would insist, "Will you have to watch it? You have to watch it." And after a while, I just stopped. I, I w- didn't watch it out of spite toward David personally. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, but eventually, you know, uh, I I I had heard from a lot of people like, "Will this is something that you would specifically enjoy? You are actually just depriving yourself." And so a lot of people, I, I kind of like, I wrote a column for Sports on Earth uh, uh, at one point, basically saying. Okay, what's the best way for me to get in? What's the best way for me to start? And like, and across the board, everyone just said, start with the national team, and then pick a pick a Euro team. And once you do that, you will learn everything about this and become obsessed with it. And frankly, that's exactly what happened to the point that I would have not thought that my already, frankly, quite packed sports <laughs> brain schedule. There's not a lot of space up here for new sports stuff. Um, uh, help, fortunately. Dropping some of the NFL has helped, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, uh, t- t- there was certainly more room for, uh, for for soccer stuff. And I have to say, I've become pretty obsessed with it now. I now live in in Athens, Georgia, and we can get into this in a moment. But you know, when I moved to Athens, you know, when I lived in New York City for 13 years. I, my mm-hmm. wife is from the South, and we met out there. And I when, I, when I moved to New York, I didn't grow up with an NBA team, so for me, it was very exciting to pick the Knicks and have an NBA team. Mm-hmm. I just they've been very good in, up to 2000, so I thought, hey, this is going to work out great for me. <laughs> The Knicks are awesome. And uh, so when I moved to Georgia, it did not work out that way, obviously. But when I moved to Georgia, I thought, you know, if I'm going to get into MLS, maybe someday we'll get a team. And so then Atlanta United came. And so to be on that in the ground floor, uh, I feel like I'm almost entirely caught up now. Nice. Well, yeah, we'll definitely get more into Atlanta United in a bit here. I mean, when I started at Sports Illustrated in 1996, And at that time, there was still a fairly large segment of Americans and even American sports media that made fun of soccer as this sport for communists that would never make it here. And now, obviously, things are different. What changed in your mind culturally? Uh, You know, I think there's a few things I think. Uh, frankly, you know, it's funny. You talk a little bit. Uh, I, I know we're, we're going to get into the Atlanta United stuff, but I actually feel like Atlanta United is a little bit of symptom of this in that, you know, and the, frankly, the city of Atlanta is a symptom in this. And for a long time, you know, soccer was, you know, is that what, it's, what's the old uh, mean girls joke? People just trying to make fetch happen. You know, just <laughs> and like everyone was always, it, it felt like a way to dig in on it. Uh, ben Dominic, who writes for the Federalist and just recently got engaged to Megan McCain. I had written a soccer piece once and, uh, and he 
kind of had a uh, on the Federalist had this response had the response that I used to have to people about soccer, which is like, leave me alone. My sports are fine. <laughs> this is like a hipster. I used to joke that uh, that uh, that watching uh, the getting in the U.S. national team was hipster patriotism, <laughs> and I, I think there's a notion of that, right? Like, uh, like I know tons of people who would who would ca- carry flags and wear and dress up like George Washington and have eagles on their jackets that would never do that in any other context. In fact, would blanch at that in any other context, would watch an NFL game and feel like it is this militaristic, jingoistic thing, but you would put them in U.S. soccer and they would become obsessed with it. So I think the rise of U.S. soccer, and we'll get into the struggles with that, has been a factor of it. And there has been a way, you know, I would, I, I think there's several things. One thing would be a general fragmenting of American society and trying to find things that you can bond apart. I would say that the U.S. national team has been a big part of that. It's become kind of the one thing uh, certainly I found that I can, you know, one of the things I've always loved about sports is you can go up to a stranger that you've never met. And if they're cheering for your team, no matter if you disagree on everything else in the world, you, you, you're your best friend as long as you're mm-hmm. watching the game. And I feel like the U S national team kind of, uh, kind of was a part of that. But I also think demographics are a factor in this. Again, looking, this is kind of my point about Atlanta. If you look at Atlanta, Atlanta for a long time was a city of, you know, people from somewhere else. They'd come in and been a fan. Uh, maybe they came from the Midwest. Maybe they came from the West. Maybe they came from the East. They came to Atlanta kind of from somewhere else. And so, therefore, a lot of the sp- professional sports teams in Atlanta, the Braves, the Falcons, the Hawks, have always been kind of known as not really having a grand fan base because Atlanta itself was not a purely concentrated thing. I think the city of Atlanta and, frankly, a lot of cities across the country, they've become more diverse. They've become more isolated is the wrong word, but more communal. They've become more of a collective thing. And and so when you go to Atlanta United game, uh, and I, I think this is true of a lot of soccer games compared to other sports, when you go to those games, it's such a more diverse crowd than a football uh-huh. game or a baseball game or even a basketball game. And that is the direction I think the country was going. And I think soccer – was able to benefit from that. And along with just like the basic thing, which is, listen, I might not have grown up watching a soccer team, but I grew up playing soccer, just like everybody else did. Uh, Chuck Klosterman, uh, the writer, had a great line about the he, he, someone who does not like soccer. But he had, the, he had the argument. He made a line one time saying, well, the reason that everyone loves uh, to play soccer in school, uh, the, the reason soccer moms like to play, have their kids play soccer, is they can legitimately run around for an hour, be tired, and no one knows really if they did well or they did not do well. <laughs> and I always thought that was actually kind of a good line. He saw it as a negative thing about soccer, but I would argue having that kind of ingrained in the culture over the last 10 years has actually led to more obsessive of soccer people it's a game that more people not everyone i know a lot of people that actually played football i know just about everybody that played soccer at some point in their life here in america yeah and actually one of my theories is that because there's so much more soccer on u.s television now than even 10 or 15 years ago when you could only be lucky to see one or two games a week from anywhere you know now it's one of the best countries in the world to watch soccer in that kids who play the sport are having the nuances of the sport from watching it so much on television kind of get into their blood at a much earlier age. And I think that's actually going to help produce better players later on. 
Yeah, and you know, frankly, this is another example of how television has just made the world smaller. Like, I had no idea when I, you know, when I was 18 years old, there was just no physical way for me in Central Illinois to watch any of these great teams. There was just no, I couldn't watch any of the best players in the world. I could not watch any of the great teams. It was just not something I had the opportunity to do. It reminds me a little bit of uh, people that got into music about that time. I remember Nirvana, Kurt Cobain uh, uh, once said he was okay with having the name of one of his songs changed from the word rape to waif, even though it was a, a artistic credibility. He didn't want to let that go. But he's like, listen, I used to only be able to get music at Walmart. So mm -hmm. like, who am I to tell people not to do that? And I think it's more and more people got the opportunity to see these players. The world's smaller now. You know, I, I always joke, I live in Georgia and you know, my, I'm a big St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. My kids, as far as they know, because the Cardinals are constantly playing in the ha this house, just like Arsenal is and just like Atlanta United is, they have, as far as they know, they live down the street from Bush Stadium. Like we live in a world where you can watch like in this house, we live in a St. Louis Cardinals embassy here. And what is outside of this house does not matter. And I think that is an option that we have now. And I think kids have had now for a, for a decade or so in a way that I and, and you may not have had growing up the opportunity to see sports from anywhere and be able to mm -hmm. select which ones you want to watch. I think you can't help to be able to see the best soccer players in the world when you're eating your breakfast is I mean, that, that, that can't help but be ingrained. So just to confirm here, U.S. national team fan, Atlanta United fan. Did you you picked a European team? You picked Arsenal. Yeah, Hershey would have killed me if I would have not picked <laughs> Arsenal. Uh, I, I've had a lot of people because I, I have a good friend here in town who's a Tottenham fan, and uh, he he uh, he's been he's he's been after me a little bit, and he's trying to taunt me a little bit. But you know, I'm new enough to Arsenal that I don't have the decades of Arsenal and and, and Tottenham hatred. But yeah, th there was no way I I couldn't have picked Arsenal. Or Hershey would have killed me, and frankly, they kind of fit into my sensibility a little bit, which is, you know, I, it's funny. One of the things that I like about sports in general, I like consistency and I like continuity. And so it was, why it was a weird thing. I wrote for New York magazine covering like the Yankees and the Mets and the Knicks for a long time. And as you know, Grant, New York media people are insane. <laughs> They're absolutely <laughs> nuts. And I say that in a somewhat positive way. But like the whole structure of New York sports is based on we got to fire the coach. We got to get new guys. We got to get this guy out of here. You have to refresh everything all the time. We can't rebuild in New York. And one of the things I liked about Arsenal is one of the things that people are actually kind of sick of Arsenal now, which is that they they would let uh, guys coach there for 20 years. You mm -hmm. know who you get. You're good all the time. You Sure, you'd love to break through. It's frustrating not to break through. But as someone that's watched Illinois football and, <laughs> and all of these terrible teams, I'm just like, wow, this team is in the top four every year with this guy. Why in the world is anybody not happy? Now, to be fair, I've only been doing that for five years <laughs> rather than 15 years. But Arsenal probably fit in my sensibilities. Very Midwestern, very let's have some constancy, some consistency mm -hmm. and be generally excellent every year. And maybe some year we'll break through. Gotcha. I take it you were not watching Arsenal in 2003, 2004. I was not there yet, no. Yes. So, <laughs> okay. I was not there. We're kind of in year-end mode looking back at 2017, and it's fair to say you closely followed the two biggest stories of the year in American soccer, one positive and one negative. The positive one would be Atlanta United, which had a remarkably successful debut season on and off the field. And the negative story would be the U.S. men's national team, which failed to qualify for the World Cup. Those are some serious emotions for a fan in one year. How would you describe that 2017 fan experience for you? Yeah, you know, Atlanta 
one thing that was nice about Atlanta United this year is people were in love with Atlanta United before they had ever played a game. <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if anything, like it, it was a kind of an amazing thing. I wrote a piece for Sports Earth after I think their first exhibition game against Charleston, I believe, mm-hmm. and the, the the Atlanta fans just they flocked to poor Charleston, who I think is, uh, you know, they, they did not have a big stadium. And it was just all of a sudden this huge mass of Atlanta fans for a team that's literally never played a game, has never gone to go. And when you want, when you follow a team all the time, you know, they, that teams disappoint you. That's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. They're there to upset you. And it's so rare for me. It was almost as if Atlanta United had minted so many loyal, hardcore fans as if they were a cause almost <laughs> Before they'd ever actually played a game. And so to then to have that because of some of the smart things that they've done as a franchise to then have such an exciting team and a team that played in such a different way. And listen, that's part of the reason that people were excited about them before. I think if they would have brought in a bunch of old Premier League players, I, I, I don't think that people would have just been naturally excited. I think there are enough smart soccer fans in Atlanta because, again, a lot of these people are from other places. A lot of people have been following them for a long time. There's, there's people from all across the world that live in Atlanta now. And they saw that what Atlanta United was doing was different than what typically a new MLS team does. Not just in roster construction, though there was that, but just in sensibility and mm-hmm. the hiring of the coach and in kind of what they did. It, and of course, then to have this new stadium was it was just very exciting. It was a really cool thing to be a part of. But I would argue a major part of it, too, that I think I hope history does not forget is that they had the first half of their season at Bobby Dodd Stadium mm-hmm. at, at Georgia Tech. That uh, obviously I've been to Mercedes Benz several times. It is a wonderful place to watch both football and soccer. Uh, but to have Bobby Dodd, that you know, it was funny. The people at Bobby Dodd, it was, I was, it was during the, it was often during times where they were either in class or about to be done with class. They were totally not prepared at all <laughs> for what was coming for them. You know, they had they had very little security. The games were impossible to get into. Their concessions lines were terrible. It was a miserable experience, but it was wonderful. It felt like this scrappy, like. Gra- like groundswell of excitement, like a ground up, almost organic thing where hmm. you've got the Atlanta it looks beautiful in da- beautiful downtown Atlanta. And it was this place they weren't supposed to play. And it was an odd place, but it was, people were so excited for it that it was almost the perfect kind of Petri dish for them. As opposed to going and immediately having to fill this big stadium where no one's played there before to have it. there really got people rolling with it. But so it has been, it was ultimately, you know, the playoffs did not exactly go the way that Atlanta United wanted to, but otherwise you could not have asked for, you had an exciting team. You had a city that was desperate, not just for a soccer team, but a team that was specifically theirs. Remember, this was also right after the Braves had moved out to the suburbs and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of felt like betrayal in that and the particularly for a city like Atlanta that has really made tons of, of leaps and bounds uh, of improvement in the last few years I think Atlanta was the city of Atlanta and the particularly the young people of Atlanta were very excited to be a part of something from the ground floor so then to have it be so fun you, just, you just couldn't have asked for a better scenario so I'm going to hold off on the U.S. men's national team stuff until later on because I want to keep talking about Atlanta United here for a second and have a smile on my face. Atlanta has been thought of at times as a bad sports town, but Atlanta United set an MLS record this season for tickets sold, averaged a league record 48,200 fans per game, and set a single game record with a crowd of nearly 72,000. What exactly did Atlanta United get so right this season? I think it's a combination of things. I do think, first off, 
you know, there was commitment from the ownership side. I think Arthur Blake, this is clearly something that he cared about. We can all have, I think, very justified discussions about how, how that Mercedes-Benz Stadium was built and, and perhaps financed. But clearly, this was not, as we've seen with perhaps other teams in the MLS, where a football owner said, yeah, okay, we'll have an MLS team. Like, right. this was clearly something that he cared about. It was clearly something that he invested. He put smart people in charge. Uh, they, As you know, they took different routes into into roster construction and that but i would argue that is that was the follow through the wind up was this as i said this city of atlanta where there is it's funny i went to uh the atlanta hawks have actually gotten smart about this too at least mm-hmm. before they they fell apart the understanding you know there'd always been this idea in atlanta sports that you're supposed to sell your sports teams to the suburbs or more specifically or even wider to the south mm-hmm. like the idea that this is the team of the south and so you go as broad as possible and you 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 worry you you make sure that they're happy maybe you get some tennessee people and you and you're kind of vague and there's sort of this like this almost listen i I live in I live in Georgia. Uh, it sort of is almost like this country music Southern type of thing, and I and I think that the Hawks have been. Listen, I have nothing against country music. Sturgill Simpson is awesome. Go country music. But um, I, I I just mean that like the way that teams have been marketed, it was almost. Because of this idea that Atlanta is not a great sports town and there's so many people from somewhere else, it's such a wide area, there was almost this apologetic way of the way that people sold the teams. And Atlanta itself, particularly because the South is so large and there are many people from rural places who often had this view, I would argue quite incorrect, of Atlanta as this scary big city where things were bad. Look at the issues they've had in Cobb County about public transit going out there. Like there's this fear of the city, I think, by some people who uh, who are have – or should not be so afraid to say, well, I'll, I'll put, I'll leave it that way. Right. And, um, and so I think what you saw was Atlanta United understanding very quickly. This is an Atlanta team. Mm-hmm. This is a specifically Atlanta team. Atlanta is a young city. It is a, it is a growing city. It's a vibrant city. Uh, there is, it is a city that is, and I would argue in the last few years has made lots of improvements and has also, worked harder at developing its own specific identity. It is no longer an amalgam of the South where everyone has come and, 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 brings with them their past there. People have grown up now in Atlanta and grown up in the city. And uh, it's much more diverse than uh, than, than a lot of other uh, sports teams, fan bases. And I think to see that they were hungry for something. They were mm-hmm. hungry for something. And then to have it be soccer, which again, as I kind of hinted at earlier, is almost this hipster idea. <laughs> it's this new thing, right? It's this, it's new and it's fun and you can feel cool uh, cheering for soccer. And you can tell, and your and your and your grump, grandpa and your uncle who keep rambling about Georgia Tech football and, <laughs> and all and the Braves and all this stuff. It was a way to tell them off and, and a way to have something that was yours and 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 to feel part of not just the Atlanta community, but almost an international community. And to be a part of the uh, of a citizen of the world idea, that was something that was really primed. It was really just a perfect match between a team that had a lot of resources and was doing things very smartly, following through on a pump that was very clearly primed for them to succeed. Gotcha. And I don't even know if you mentioned this yet. You are a season ticket holder for Atlanta United, and so is your family, right? How many season tickets do you have? 
We actually uh, there are there are two people here in town uh, that the three two friends of mine. We share season tickets. We mm-hmm. are now we uh, just it was a test case for the first year. Now we're trying to figure out uh, which one of us are going to elbow elbow out the other ones because we want to go to all of them now. Because <laughs> you, know, you know we live in Athens. You know, so Athens is an hour and twenty minutes right. away from Atlanta. So you know it's sometimes not. It's that you can't just like pop over after work. Uh, so we have to plan it out a little bit. But yeah, it's I got uh, we, we we just got our little bra- uh, vouchers letting us know that there will be. A season ticket holder wall, little of plaques uh, at okay. Mercedes Benz Stadium. So you, so if, when you go there, feel free to draw a mustache on my name. Because, <laughs> uh, we are, we, it, it is, you know, it's a really cool thing. You know, we renewed those things in a half a second. Like, nice. and and it, it's been fun for me too. You know, I, I live in Athens. Obviously, Georgia football it runs everything here, and it's also a, you know it's generally kind of a conservative group mm-hmm. and one that's skeptical of soccer. It has been very fun to me to watch. People who would have never, who who have no interest in being a hipster patriot, and are just kind of like soccer. Rah, watch to to look and see their skepticism. They are oh, there's never going to be a soccer team in Atlanta. That's not going to work. To see that and realize there is something happening in an area that they thought they understood that is very new to them, and to see them to watch their defensiveness against it and watch their skepticism right. start to kind of slowly melt away was a really cool part of this season. Interesting. Now, you have written a lot over the years about sports fandom. What about soccer fandom is different in your mind from fandom in other sports? I would argue, and this is going to sound very uh, silly uh, when we're talking about soccer specifically, but I would say in America anyway, I've found it – this is going to sound so dumb when we talk about soccer in an international sense, but I found it less provincial. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, in that, uh, and a lot of that comes from the national team. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's been fun. Like this year, there's been this Atlanta Orlando rivalry. Right. And, 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 and it feels, I, it feels like they're really, like they're trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> like it feels <laughs> like they're really trying to make a rivalry happen. But you know, to me, when I went to Atlanta United games, what was really enjoyable about it was, you know, there was there was a collective kind of joy in it, and there was a collective kind of what a fun experience we are uh, we're at. There was not a lot of, and maybe this is something that Atlanta will build up to. Uh, mm-hmm. But there, but from the look at the two teams that I've generally watched, uh, I watch the most of Atlanta United and uh, and and the U.S. national team. Mm-hmm. There is there's a sense of collective. A cause. That's probably the best way to put it. Like it, they, they both feel like causes. They both feel like uh-huh. something that you get behind and push forward on. And so whereas compared to college football down here where – I mean I was in the supermarket the other day and I saw someone wearing an Auburn hat and there was like a six-year-old that literally walked up to her and started barking at her. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean football in the South is – you know, they, they, their skin – burns off their faces when they get into these rivalries. And I think, you know, you see that a little bit with U.S.-Mexico and maybe a little bit with that. But for me, you know, I feel like everything – the other sports all feel – established. I don't mean that mm-hmm. soccer is not established, but if they feel established the way that it's almost cemented. If you know football, you can talk to someone about football. Everybody has their thoughts about the NFL and their thoughts about baseball, their thoughts about hockey and the thoughts about the NBA and thoughts about it, co- collegiate sports. But like for what's fun for me is this is still in the growing process and there right. are still more people coming in. And so therefore you don't have to, it's fun. It, you're constantly watching people 
see things for the first time in a way that I find refreshing. I don't remember the last time that I saw someone be like, oh, look at this NFL. This is kind of interesting. Let's see what this is like. You like everybody's views on the NFL. I just wrote a piece in New York magazine about this. Everyone's pieces on the NFL are pretty well cemented. Right. And one thing that I love about soccer is a lot of, at least in America, and from my experience as a fan of only for the last few years is to watch it, it feels inclusive and collective in a way that I will know that soccer has truly matured when we all turn into jerks, <laughs> when we all turn into total jerks and everybody and, and Atlanta Orlando happens and everybody hates each other. And there are all those sort of fights. You'll know it's truly happening. But for right now, you know, it's a, it's it's something that feels Exciting, and maybe this is a lead into the U.S. national thing. Maybe that was the pivot point where we all start getting angry. <laughs> but, uh, but for me, you know that that to me is the difference. There's still a sense of discovery, and there's still a sense of a cause. You know, hockey, I guess, has this a little bit because mm-hmm. it's 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 lost a little luster where you hear people talk about is this good for hockey? We figure out what's good for hockey, but nobody, right. unless you work in baseball or football or, or or the NBA, no one says, oh, is this good for the NBA? Like, you know, it's just it just is. It just exists it's just the thing that happens for me that's a very exciting thing about american soccer in both the mls and with the national team people want to be a part of something it's something that you you feel like you're building i mean you've seen this with the american outlaws just how much they've grown you've written about this as much as anyone how much they've grown from something so small to so vast and it feels like a startup, you know, and, it, and, and that's that's starting to mature, uh, and it's just a cool thing to be a part of, and it's just not something I see in any other sport. So, on the other side of the emotional scale in 2017, where were you on the night the U.S. men failed to qualify for the World Cup? I was at the uh, the the pub here in town, um, the uh, the place where we all go, where the Atlanta. The, it's it's not officially the American Outlaws place in Athens because there is one but there maybe this is getting more provincial now there's a fight between which American outlaws <laughs> goes to which bar you know it's a it's a whole kind of silly uh, uh, fight but I was at the the good one mine and <laughs> and so we uh, but we were all there you know it was packed in uh, and you know it's funny because one of the things I've tried to do with qualifying matches is invite people that don't watch soccer or are learning okay. about soccer and brought them to come. So I had my regular crew there, but then I brought them in because this was going to be a night of celebration. And the way that I've always sold it to people is a, it's just a night to go to a pub and drink and everybody screams together. It's just <laughs> like, like we did not have to shout down the Trinidad and Tobago contingent <laughs> at the bar. Like everybody was there. It's a collective thing. Like think about how many things in American life grant that you can do that where right. you can walk into a bar and everyone's on, everyone's just instantly on the same side. And so, so, I, so we all, we all went there. I was wearing my, my Pulisic jersey, which I still feel weird wearing because <laughs> literally has more like i'm not that old grant and he's still less than half my age it's creepy it's creepy but i have it i have it because because i'm just a guy who wears the name of teenagers on my back <laughs> uh, but so i was there we're all very excited and uh and and you know the chants are going it's it's a it's a hot crowd it's right. a hot crowd because it's you know it's uh it's a celebration you know i'm i tend to not be pessimistic as a sports fan or as a human and keep being proven wrong in both regards on a pretty regular daily basis. Uh, But I was, you know, it was, there was certainly, you knew, you know, we'd been at the same bar to, uh, to watch the game before where we felt like we got, that was the fear. Like we'd gotten over the worst part. Obviously there's been much, there was much worry during qualifying, but we'd, we'd gone through the gauntlet and all we, this was, even if things went terribly wrong, 
it still couldn't go that terribly wrong. Right. So, so we, but we were, we were all, we were at a pub and screaming and yelling and, uh, and then it got real quiet for a while. Oof. <laughs> it's still too soon. It will feel too soon, possibly forever. <laughs> It may feel too soon because remember too, like a way, you know, I wrote about this for sports on earth as well. One of the things that, as you know, that what the world cup does forget like everything else, forget how exciting it is and whether you're going to win the world cup or how far you're going to go is at the, at the minimum, it's an excuse for day drinking. Oh, <laughs> it's an excuse for day drinking over the summer. And the timings are, are going to work out. Time's going to work out very, very well for Russia. Uh, and you know, and for, and there were also a lot of people that I had, I think had gotten very excited by the women's world cup. They right. got excited about that collective experience and how, I mean, it was just the women's world cup was one of those rare sporting events that just made everybody feel good. It right. was just, a, it just did. It just made everybody feel good. The timing of the game was perfect. It was right, the right exact time of day where everyone could all watch it together. So to be able to sell people, even if, even if you like, okay, even if you don't like soccer, even if you're not into this, just look, all of these people are happy together and they're all drinking. That's how often does that happen? Weddings. Weddings are the only time that happens. If our mitzvahs. So those are the only time those things happen. So to be able to do that and get, then give them the promise of more next summer was uh, was an exciting experience for a uh, unfortunately short amount of time. Yeah. I mean, are you going to be able to pick a team to root for for this World Cup or, or are you just going to be basically depressed the whole time? You know, the last World Cup, I found other teams other than the U.S. to kind of cheer for in passing. Uh, my son, my my youngest son, uh, who uh, turned uh, three in June, was literally born while that London loss was on the television in the in the hospital room. Oh, so, uh, so I, 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 and for the record, I I was not watching. To be very clear, uh, but uh, so you know, I feel like it's okay to pick other teams iceland i think looks fun but i'll put it this way um when the draw came out i had it was on, i put that on my calendar months ago yeah. <laughs> like of course you, know, you knew it was coming and, I, and we were talking about having a group of people to go watch that together and i honestly right now could not tell you any of the groups <laughs> okay <laughs> like, i just couldn't I just can't. I will. I will. I will. By by the time the calendar turns and you start to get warmed up for it and start to think it'd be fun, then I'll get into it. But like there was a time, you know, I listened to this is your show. I listened to to the to the uh, uh, world soccer show. I would listen to uh, um, American Soccer Now, and I was like, listen to all these podcasts. And I would have all the we're going to go through group by group and see which is a group of death podcasts, which I would have obsessively listened to. Right. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I yeah. couldn't do it. And I suspect I'm not alone in that. Yeah, I think so. As a fan of soccer, do you have a bucket list of things that you want to do? Yeah, I need to get to an Arsenal game. I, I watch yeah. too many of their games. I, I've literally, Grant, this is, remember, I am a farm kid from Illinois mm -hmm. who can't believe I ever even made it to, even stepped foot in New York City, <laughs> let alone live there for a while. So I, the, hard enough for me to get out of Illinois. I've never been to England. Like, I've literally wow. never been to England. So I've never been to Mexico. So, like, okay. there's all sorts of, like, for me, you know, this is, when I was a kid, um, our family vacations were always based around where the Cardinals were playing, which okay. is why we had wonderful, gorgeous vacations in Cincinnati <laughs> and Pittsburgh <laughs> and had these long weekends where we just get in the car and drive and get bleacher tickets beforehand. So to me, one of the great things about sports is that you can – 
like you can use them as use as excuse to see places you've never seen and then go places you've never gone. So I would like to use Arsenal as an excuse to finally go to London. I'd like to use a uh, U.S. qualifying game as an excuse to finally go to Mexico. Yeah. Though I might not perhaps be seeing Mexico in its eye. <laughs> that seems like a different not seeing that game at the Azteca might not be the best representative as Mex- of Mexico as a whole. But I still feel like that, that, you know, so there are things like that were just like basic things I need to get. Through. I'd like to go to that one, uh, to the Chinese stadium that had, that holds like 4 billion people. <laughs> I like, I think that would be kind of fun, uh, to go to, but you know, for me, I need to get, I'm still, you know, you've been writing about soccer for longer than I've been a soccer fan. We obviously people listening have been obsessed with soccer their entire lives. I feel like I'm catching up, but I have so much more catching up to do that. I have like the basics that I have to get to before I can start being like, oh, okay, now, now I'm ready for, uh, I like, for example, I'll put it this way. I went on vacation in 2006 to Buenos Aires and I went by the Boca Junior Stadium nice. and I got to see it and it was really cool. And I only like four or five years later, I realized, okay, so this is what the Boca Juniors are. This is what division they're in. <laughs> this is where they play. And so for me, you know, it's, it's a, I, I would have appreciated that so much more, uh, if I, if I would have, if, with the, with the perspective and the context I have now. So I'm still working my way through there. I was very lucky. Uh, my best soccer experience so far uh, was I was at the uh, game in Columbus where U.S. Mm-hmm. beat Mexico. The the, the end of the Dos Acero era, okay. where uh, where they won that and clinched. Remember they clinched that night. And it was very fun. Yeah, it was very it was very fantastic. It was a it was really a great time. And uh, and I feel like as a U.S. soccer fan, it's kind of sad that that's. Maybe the last, <laughs> I guess the John Brooks goal uh, is the is the last grace moment since then. But right. uh, again, you know th- these things are on a long scale, and uh, and now for for the U.S., I'm afraid they must be on an even longer scale. Yeah, exactly. Gonna need some patience now. We're winding down here. I appreciate you taking this much time. I, I did want to ask you about your newfound soccer interest and how it's been responded to by longtime hardcore soccer fans. Have they been have they been welcoming? Have they been sort of like dismissive in the sense of, you know, I I saw this band when they were playing in underground bars and now everyone watches them in stadiums. Yeah, uh I am you know, I've not found it among US fans. Uh, I've certainly not seen that. I, in fact, I uh, I think obviously a lot of listeners may can, may agree or disagree, but I've certainly not found, generally speaking, uh, the American Outlaws or any of the fan groups or or just the idea. There's a welcoming, hey, everybody on board, we're all a cause thing to it from U.S. fans. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, occasionally you might get that. I think you see it sometimes. Uh, frankly, I think you almost see it more in players, in like old players uh-huh. that were in the. In on U.S. teams than you see from new fans. I think that, like, there's a lot of, well, back in, well, it's not like it was in 94, and you're like, yes, thank God for that. And so I I, I would say fan-wise, I think it's still kind of collective. I see a little bit among Arsenal, and I understand because <laughs> it reminds me, you know, my mother, bless her heart, uh, she she was never a religious woman, and she's alive. I made her sound like she's dead. Uh, she's, she's still alive, but she had a religious awakening uh, when she was about 45 years old Hmm. and researched all of the world's religions from Judaism to Muslim to Buddhism across the board. And she chose Catholicism, which, you know, whatever your thoughts about that choice, that was where she landed. So she joined the church and was, was, and of course, nobody has the fervor than of the recently converted. So she just shows up and she's like, wow, this Catholic stuff is so great. And there's all of these people that are like, yeah, try being in high school. Okay. Where every single thought or urging I had was a sin. And you got, you just got to have fun in high school. And so I feel like our, 
Arsenal fans feel that way a little bit about me, where I'm just like, why is everybody so unhappy? This team is good. What do you mean? Oh, okay, fine. They went to the Europa League once. They're going to be good again. They're going great. They're doing fine. Everyone's like, you have to shut up. You just got here. So I think that is that is where I see it mostly. But I, as a U.S. fan, and certainly you know Atlanta United, now Atlanta United, in 10 years, I get to be one of those people. In 10 years, I get to be one of those people that, that is just... That when they come in and are all excited, I'm like, oh, you don't remember that horrible Columbus loss. I can't believe the way the, the, the shootout went. Uh, and I get to, you know, because I think, you know, I do these rankings for uh, on Sports on Earth for at the end of every sports season. Mm-hmm. I do a ranking of the most tortured fan bases. And right. you would think that someone would not want to be known as a tortured person. Right. <laughs> like they, right. And But it's always amazing to me, uh, particularly Mets fans are unusually bad about this. If if you're not, like I don't have the, I have the Indians as the most tortured fan base and the Mets are like fifth or sixth. And you would be amazing how fans are very upset if you do not appreciate how they specifically have been tortured. <laughs> and and I understand it. I think it's a very natural thing. So yeah, I'll get to be one of those guys in Atlanta United in 10 years. And uh, <laughs> But for now, for now, I'm the Arsenal fan that's like, whatever, guys. I mean, look at Stoke. They're not nearly as good as we are. We're awesome. We're fifth. Come on, we'll get up to fourth. Let's get happy. And so uh, I, that's, I understand why people would find that very annoying. <laughs> Lastly, we've been making jokes here in the U.S. for decades about soccer as the sport of the future and always will be. But realistically, where do you see soccer compared to other big spectator sports in the U.S. in, say, 10 years? Well, 10 years, I will confess what happened in Trinidad set it back to be honest if we're talking about that 10-year thing i don't think there's really any question you know because that you've seen upward growth uh pretty much consistently in both men's and women's since everything's kind of, since the real turn has kind of happened mm-hmm. and, and and this idea as i said of a cause you've seen you've had nothing but upward st- like even though when there's been disappointments even when you're like oh how did you miss that shot that would have gotten us and there's been all that frustration there's still like an idea that the U S is on its way up and there's always been this hope that it's going to get to a certain level now. So my, my old, my, not my colleagues, but the people at my old site, that's been, uh, I think Billy Hazley has been like very skeptical of that idea. And I understand that idea, but I feel like that is, uh, that that's kind of the old Arsenal fan yelling at me like, yeah, you're probably right, but come on, come on, let's get excited. And this is like something that, that now, casual or new fans have their oh mate this might not work out moment and so i think that's gonna hurt it and frankly it's just gonna hurt it on just a basic eyeballs level and just said that you know you we've seen a growth in uh in after every world cup there's a growth and there's excitement the idea that christian pulisic was going to be on the cover of men's magazines uh in uh in in march and april they were they were already all set up so you know now that's not going to happen and now it's just going to be the whole story in america about next year's world cup is going to be how the u.s isn't in it and the one after that it's going to be in the middle of football season and no one's when they're going to be able to watch it it's going to be and maybe football won't exist by then maybe the world won't exist by then but certainly uh there's not been that constant upward trajectory so i i think the timeline is going to be considered a, a little bit longer but uh that said 
um, you know, you look at this. I just wrote about New York Magazine. I think the NFL is in serious trouble right. when it comes to a 10 to 15 year turn. I don't think it's going to go away, but the idea that it is infallible uh, and infallible and never going to uh, to struggle, I think it's it's clearly not happening. And you know, I think there are demographic demographic problems for baseball and for hockey. And I think. Um, the the demographics are still in soccer's favor, and the uh, in 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 both uh, ethnicity, in age, uh, in 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 young fans, and in just generally uh, the mo- people moving to cities. Frankly, I think is also a factor in it too. So you know, I think it's still in a in a very good spot, but I think it's going to be a while. We're we're going to be talking about them not making the World Cup and having it stunted things for a a very long time and that, i think that's that's why it hurts so much but i think that the idea i don't think you're going to see the mls uh break into that top three uh in the next 10 years though i think it's clearly made particularly good moves uh in, in the last two or three years uh we can argue about expansion but uh clearly i think the quality of play uh, ha- has improved and i think you've seen that and but just I think it's going to require a confluence of circumstances that go beyond just the MLS getting better mm-hmm. and the U.S. having big world, big World Cup. I think I think you can all come together, but I think ten years. I think that's a tight timeline. No, I totally agree with you. I would say though that, and we'll see how this impacts the men's national team. Very likely that the U.S., Mexico, and Canada will be hosting that World Cup nine years from now. Curious to see what kind of a team the U.S. might put out on the field. In that the, 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 the question is, is, uh, is Howard still the top goalie at that time? <laughs> that's really the question. Is Howard still the top goalie at that time? Uh, if that's happening, as I don't think it's entirely off the table. If Howard is still a top goalie at that time, we'll know that things uh, that uh, either he's he's gone fully bionic and there's technology that doesn't go along with it. But yeah, you're right. You know, and and again, you know, I it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, 1994 was obviously long before my soccer fandom. Right. But man, I remember that. Everybody remembers that. I, was, I just graduated from high school and that was it was awesome. I didn't entirely understand everything that was happening, but it was clearly something that was very cool. And and, and so to have that rush, that it's just a shame it's going to come after these next two right. World Cups. I think I think that's a. I think if it were in four years instead of Qatar in four years, I think it would be helpful. But I think the one-two punch of Russia and Qatar uh, being off season and in a weird time zone, uh, I, I think that's going to be rough. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot to overcome. But yes, it will be helpful if uh, if the U.S., Canada, and, and Mexico has that uh, particularly, particularly because I'm sure they're going to play at Mercedes. He's been stadium. So, uh, so I'll be able to come here and, uh, and root for my 2018 world cup favorite Iceland and watch them on, I watch Iceland take out the, uh, the, 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 the damned Yankees. Cause I will have gone full after Iceland wins the 2018 world cup. I'm vowing right now. If they win the 2018 world cup, I will never watch a U.S. national teams game. In fact, I will, Im- I will immigrate there right now. Might not be the worst idea anyway, actually all told, but that's a whole other discussion. I'll hold you to that, by the way. Hey, a warm <laughs> welcome to soccer it's great to have you on board and going down the rabbit hole uh you're always welcome on this podcast will leach thanks for joining me of course and in all seriousness great if it what you have been a huge part for i think not just me but a lot of people uh in their indoctrination into soccer we, we wouldn't be able to do it without you so thank you as well thank you sir thanks for listening to the planet football podcast i'd like to thank will leach as well as everyone at cadence 13 and sports illustrated who supports this podcast Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it wherever you get your podcast. It really does help the cause if you do. 
And check out the new 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on Amazon with a free seven-day trial now. Recent guests include Patrick Vieira, Juan Carlos Osorio, Roberto Martinez, Hercules Gomez, Arlo White, and Gwendolyn Oxenham. Happy New Year, everyone. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.